This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun application performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. Back to the show. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 409. Today, CJ flies solo, talks about fuel pipelines and exchange vulnerabilities, recorded live May 15th, 2021. Good afternoon, everybody. CJ's flying solo this week. AC's got the week off. So today, you are stuck with me. And today, we're going to talk about some of the goings-on in the cloud world this week. It's been a very busy week in the US with things like fuel shortages on the east side of the US, east coast, I guess, and south due to some pipeline hacks, fuel pipeline hacks that have been going on. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and then dive into some other news and bits and pieces. So why don't we get started First, I want to talk a little bit about the defense contract, the big $10 billion defense contract that AC and I have spoken about before on the podcast. This week, we've heard that the Pentagon is reconsidering the huge Jedi cloud computing contract. This was awarded solely to Microsoft, and Amazon has been fighting it ever since. And so it's been going back and forth in the courts and those sorts of things, and there's been some ongoing, uh, you know, litigation around it because obviously it's a huge contract, and Amazon wants a piece of that pie as well. But according to the Wall Street Journal on Monday, the Pentagon is reconsidering pulling the plug on the Jedi contract in light of all the legal challenges going on, and will probably review whether they give it all to one person, whether they break it up into multiple projects, would be my guess. Something along those lines. So this story is not done yet. And as we suspected, it is likely to drag on for a considerable period of time. So that's some Jedi going on in the Cloud Wars. I love the term Jedi, but uh, yeah, I hope they wrap this up at some stage soon. It'd be great to see Microsoft progress with it. But I suspect it's kind of looking like they might get split up into multiple projects instead. So that's the latest on Jedi. Now, Unless you've had your head buried in the sand this past week or live far enough away you don't care about news going on in the US, Uh, it's been all over the headlines this week, at least over here, has been this massive fuel shortages for the past week or so caused by the shutdown of a pipeline called the Colonial Pipeline. Now, this thing runs all the way, sort of, I guess, what's the right term? Yeah, up and down the west, sorry, up and down the east coast uh, of the US. And so there's a ton of states that are, you know, get their fuel supply from this pipeline. And this past week, it was the folks who run it or who run the pipeline had a massive malware attack or, um, you know, hackers essentially 
locks them out of all of their systems with a set of ransomware. So ransomware will obviously lock up all of your systems and it does things like encrypts your drives, all your computers on your network, servers, the whole lot. So you're unable to use them unless you pay, not a bribe, what's the term I'm looking for? A fee, a fee. And in this case, it looks like Darkseid was the cyber criminal gang that early reports say some gang or some cyber criminal gang out of Russia, not necessarily state-sponsored, but anywho, somewhere out of Russia perhaps that Darkseid are, are from. And so they got some ransomware into the colonial pipeline systems and caused it or required it to be shut down. And this has then had cascading effects of fuel shortages all across the east coast of the states, down into the south, not necessarily just from the fuel pipeline shutting down, but from everybody freaking out that the fuel pipeline's been shut down and going and, you know, filling up every container they've got. There have even been photos of circulating of people with plastic bags filling it up with fuel. I mean, everybody's freaking out that they're not going to be able to get gas, I think, or petrol. It is just so weird to me. But anyway, so yeah, all the mad panic has caused fuel shortages. And I think they were saying at 1.70% of the gas stations, I think it was in... Mississippi or Louisiana, I can't remember exactly, were out of gas at some point, out of petrol. So anyway, caused mass chaos. Things went very, very sideways. And so Colonial Pipeline ultimately ended up paying the ransom to get their systems back online. And so now I'm recording this as of Saturday the 15th of May, and the system is back up and running. Now, there's all sorts of interesting discussion going on about this, about whether you should essentially negotiate with terrorists, right, or with the hackers because, you know, companies pay them. That means they're going to go and do it again with somebody else. I think there's a line there somewhere, personally, where you've got an infrastructure like a fuel pipeline or a rail system or a transit system of some variety or hospitals, for example, that are just critical to the operating of, um, of the country and of society. And as we could see with fuel hoarding and things, things go pretty chaotic pretty quick. So I think there's probably a line in there somewhere where I'd say, yeah, we should pay it and get it back up and running. But in the same breath, you know, this shouldn't have happened to begin with. And so they'll obviously have to be looking pretty deeply at how they got hacked initially. Which brings me to another interesting point. So there is an article from Windows Central where there's speculation. I don't know if this is 100% confirmed yet, but there's certainly speculation of it that the Colonial Pipeline attack ransomware was linked to the recent Microsoft Exchange vulnerabilities that we've seen reported and patched by Microsoft not that long ago, actually. So we'll link to it in the show notes, but the article goes on to say that the Exchange vulnerabilities that we saw a little while back could be linked to the root of the cyber attack. So typically these things are not just one thing, right? It's multiple things in succession that fail in order to get in. And so... That's suggesting here, or or the speculation, that one of the vectors for getting in could have been these exchange vulnerabilities. So, a couple of things from that. People running on-prem exchange still, make sure you're up to date and patched. Of course, that should go without saying. But yeah, that seems to be possibly the way that these guys got in. There's a tweet here from Nicole Pearlroth, who's also... You know, it's linked to from this article, who's a cybersecurity reporter for the New York Times who first reported this. So, yeah, I guess 
it goes without saying that sometimes you think you can run your systems better than Microsoft in the cloud, and uh, examples like this prove that most people can't. So, um, yeah, go make sure you're all patched. Now, what was also interesting about this that I found up on the Krebs on Security blog, if, you, if you're not familiar with, with that blog, it's a fantastic resource, and you can learn a lot more about this attack and others. And we'll link to these in the show notes as well, obviously. But subsequently, since this attack has happened, there were a couple of interesting things that happened that I'm not entirely sure whether the two are completely related or not, but it just seems very coincidental, was that the Biden administration, a few days after this, announced or made a change in policy around offensive measures that they could take in response to things going on in the world of uh, cybersecurity. And then it was reported yesterday on Krebs on Security that the dark side ransomware gang has quit after their servers and their Bitcoin stash were seized. So, putting two and two together, one might be led to say or that it's not that far-fetched to think that the U.S., government perhaps, or or something along those lines, decided to get their revenge on this ransomware gang and shut them down for good, stole all their Bitcoin, shut their servers down, got rid of them, and the ransomware gang called Darkseid has, uh, has quit the business. So yeah, there's, again, there's a, there's a link here to an announcement saying, this is from Darkseid, servers were seized, money of advertisers and founders was transferred to an unknown account, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you can read more about this, but karma can be a real, yeah. I don't know how I feel about this. I think, uh, obviously, I'm pretty stoked that they got taken down, and that's probably a good thing so they don't do it again. These guys will go somewhere else. Criminals are criminals. They will pop back up in some other variety at some point. So who really knows when we will see them again? But anyway, for now... The Colonial Pipeline is back up and running. Fuel is flowing again. People don't need to fill up their shopping bags and plastic bags full of fuel and pretend like Armageddon has has arrived and we will probably have forgotten that it ever happened next week. So, Colonial Pipeline hacks ransomware exchange being hacked and possibly the US government taking down the hacking group. Responsible. All happened in a matter of days. Just unbelievable stuff. Uh, things of novels, really, right? A Tom Clancy novel, perhaps. Right, so that is the dark side attack. On to some other news. Windows 10X. If you haven't heard about Windows 10X, it is a new version of Windows. I'm putting it in air quotes, new. It is a new version of Windows. Obviously, it's going to have shared a lot of the original code of Windows and things. However, Windows 10X was Microsoft's foray into sort of, I guess, excuse the pun, rebooting the Windows franchise for more modern PCs and stripping out just a bunch of bloat and old APIs and old parts of the operating system that were no longer required and really sort of putting it on a big diet and trimming it down and getting it fighting fit again. Now, that was also going to mean that things like Win32 apps wouldn't have run straight out of the box and they were going to have to add, I think, some sort of emulation layer to support old apps later on. But news this week that Microsoft has put Windows 10X on hold indefinitely, which is interesting. It was due to see the light of day, I think, sometime this year, later this year. 
They were promising to launch it in 2021. However, it's now on hold indefinitely. I don't know the background behind this. I am sure we'll see more information coming out of Microsoft in due course. But for now, Microsoft's not launching Windows 10X. So yeah, a nice trim, slick version of Windows may take a little longer. Maybe they're going to do it in more incremental steps as opposed to one big bang. The last big bang that we saw with Windows was probably like the the ARM version of Windows that ran on um, on the first version of the Surface tablet. And, you know, again, that didn't run 132 apps. And yeah, it didn't go particularly well for Microsoft, although that was, what, like eight years ago now, I suppose? Ten years ago? No, not that long. Six or seven years ago. Yeah, so maybe they've learned from their mistakes. They've decided to do it more incrementally or something and just improve the base version of Windows as they go. I guess we will see what happens there. But for now, Windows 10X is on ice, so to speak. Right. Threat protect, pardon my French, threat protection. Gosh, I can't speak today. I spent too much time out in the glorious sun here in Seattle. So Microsoft has threat and vulnerability management capabilities already for Windows 10, such as Windows Defender and all that sort of stuff. However, they're announcing they'll be doing the same stuff for Mac OS and Linux will be bringing it this year. So in addition to existing support for Windows 10 and Windows Server devices, Mac OS and Linux capabilities will be brought expanding secure configuration assessment capabilities. So basically, these guys, or sorry, this feature, I should say, in the threat and vulnerability management stuff is all about making sure you keep your endpoint devices, desktops, all of that sort of stuff safe. So Microsoft had the threat score, I think it was called, something or secure score, something along those lines about what was turned on and off on different computers and what AV was on there and what the configuration was and all those sorts of things. And so, yeah, they'll be bringing that to Mac OS and Linux. And that's currently in preview. Nice. I guess the widening net of Microsoft in the non-Windows world continues, which is pretty cool, right? I think it was a great uh, great set of additions, or it's nice to see them do this. Okay, on to some more familiar territory, Teams. So sometime back, we spoke about on the show about Teams bringing webinars to the product. And so beginning this week, or this week gone past, I guess that would have been the week of the 10th of May, webinars and PowerPoint are starting to, the webinar capability and PowerPoint live capability are being rolled out into Teams or beginning to roll out in Teams. So I think it'll obviously take a little while to come to all tenants. But um, yeah, this. so this, if you haven't heard about this on the show before, this is the ability about creating a webinar from soup to nuts, right? From scheduling it, inviting people to attend, letting them sign up for it, all of that sort of stuff. And then obviously presenting in it as well, all through Teams. So this will let you do interactive meetings and webinars for up to a thousand attendees. And if you are cool with just talking into the void, much like I am right now, you'll be able to host meetings for up to 10,000 people in view-only broadcast mode, which would be kind of nice too. So I guess you know, having to use other tools for webinars and things. There's just the next set of things that you can do right from within Teams. Very nice. In addition to that, they're also rolling out PowerPoint Live and presenter mode within Teams. So what I gather that PowerPoint Live mode does is lets attendees 
browse through the presentation that they're also watching, right? So you don't just get a picture of the slide that the person's currently on, but the attendees will get to, you know, sort of browse through the content through the rest of the presentation and uh, and take a look at it in their own time so they could skip ahead if they want, things like that. Presenter mode, on the other hand, is sort of a, a slightly different view on presenting. So at the moment in Teams, when you present, you know, you get the little thumbnail of the person with the video with the other thumbnails and things, and you get a full screen experience of the slide that they're using, right? Presenter mode sort of gives a different set of layout options so that you could see the person's video sort of in a more interactive overlay type layout on the slides, which is quite nice. So there's like a portrait mode where you see your slides and the person's face side by side, nice and large. There's also like an overlay mode where the person sort of cut out using, you know, sort of the same stuff as you use for blur background. And then the person is put over the slide as well. So you're a little larger and more, more visible and things. So yeah, just more engaging. I think this is quite useful. I think this is really good. You know, we've all sat through so many meetings this year where, you know, you just get the full view of the slide and it's just not that engaging and great. So I'm all for seeing new interactive ways to do your, you know, run your meetings and things like that. So pretty sweet. Okay, so that's from Teams. Now, what else we got here? Some hardware goodness. I don't know about you, but I'm a sucker for some cool hardware. And Microsoft are announced uh, back on the 3rd of May now, actually, that they're bringing a bunch of devices to be certified for Microsoft Teams that you'll be able to go and buy, mostly business-related, right, obviously, given it's for Teams. But there's some nice devices here. There's the Surface Headphones 2 Plus for business. I mean, <laughs> ah, Microsoft, your naming's classic. How could you have a set of... He- uh, anyway, headphones for bi- Surface Headphones 2 Plus for business to meet your meeting needs. 13 levels of active noise cancellation, 18 and a half hours of music and listening time, and 15 hours of voice calling time. That's pretty sweet. I hope they sound pretty good because they're 300 bucks USD, which is fairly expensive. But they look all right, and um, I'm not sure why I would choose these over a pair of Bose or something like that. But anyway, there you have it. Surface Headphones 2 Plus for business. They're also coming out with some the Microsoft Modern USB and Wireless Headsets. Microsoft Modern Wireless Headset, apparently that's its name. And the Microsoft Modern USB Headset. Again, sort of lighter weight headsets with boom mics that you know sit alongside your head for your meetings. So those are 50 bucks, so sort of lower quality, uh, sorry, lower price point set of headphones as well. Not as fancy. Now, the one that's really cool that I quite like, not I don't like the name, but I like the device, the Microsoft Modern USB-C speaker. So apparently this little guy is like a little puck. It's not a, it's not circular, it's sort of an oblong shape. You know, it's a, a USB speaker with, you know, mic, volume buttons, pick up, put down, mute button, and Teams button on it, which is 99 bucks. Easy to use buttons, easy to mute, etc. Great for just plugging in and holding a small meeting. Pretty sweet. And then finally, Microsoft have come out with a new webcam as well, the Microsoft Modern Webcam, that this thing, I don't know about this thing, I'm not sold on it, but it does 1080p, which is, you know, are we still doing 1080p? Are people not up to full 4K cameras yet? I don't know. Anyway, 
70 bucks. It's not too bad if you're looking for a camera. I'm sure it'll work great with Teams and with Windows and things. So the Microsoft Modern Webcam. The naming, all this modern naming just cracks me up. It's it's pretty comical, I think, because when the next thing comes out, are they going to call us the modern version 2? I don't know. More, the more modern version? I don't know. It just seems like poor naming to me. But anyway, some nice hardware goodness. Now, of course, we're not all going to conferences and stuff yet, or at least I'm not. But some of these things, like the little speakerphone, the USB-C puck, would be pretty sweet swag for giveaways and things like that, for booths and for competitions and things. So um, I'm sure once we get back to in-person, we'll have a ton of uh, giveaways and things like that going on. And I suspect those pucks are going to be a, a very exciting addition to the swag lineup. All right, so that's some Teams hardware and, and software goodness webinars and hardware and all that sort of stuff. Let's talk a little bit about some Azure news. So Microsoft this week announced that it is buying a company called, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, called Kinvolk. Now Kinvolk builds a Linux distribution, is my understanding, for running Kubernetes workloads. This is my my understanding. And that Microsoft bought them to get ahead in the containerization world and bring it to you know bring more goodness to AKS. This is from Brendan Burns who we've had on the show before, who's the sort of the the godfather of Kubernetes is the right term, maybe the grandfather or the what have you, but yeah, he made a post April 29th about this announcement and he says Kinfolk's founding mission statement is to build and promote an enterprise grade open cloud native stack and that this fits perfectly with our growing customer needs and ongoing investments in open source and Kubernetes. So yeah, they are deeply investing in this space, obviously. Buying companies is no cheap exercise. And so um, more goodness coming to the AKS and uh, containerization world. He goes on to say in this post that Kinvolk has a rich, innovative history in open source cloud-native distributed computing, including Kubernetes, eBPF, which I don't know what that stands for, community building and container-optimized Linux, as well as early work on CoreOS, which is also really popular in the container world. So yeah, Microsoft's making big investments in this space to get their hands on, I think, what is called the Flatcar Container Linux distribution, which is sort of like CoreOS, an alternative to CoreOS for running your containers on. So pretty sweet. I like this stuff because as a developer, I want to be able to run my things in the cloud more easily, and I love that Microsoft's done so much around AKS the last couple of years to really improve people's lives, so or developers' lives, and people running apps in Azure. They're doing really good stuff, so continue the investment, Microsoft and Brendan Burns. Awesome, awesome stuff. Okay, I'm going to save the best for last, so let's move on to one more piece of news, which is the Microsoft Graph.net SDK version 4 is now in preview. So this was shared up on the Microsoft Graph developer blog. You can get to that from graph.microsoft.com and then there's a link in the top navigation. I think it's under resources that gets you to their blog if you're interested in following along. Anywho, for .NET developers who are doing graph development, myself included, version 4 of the SDK is out. They're continuing to add new things. Better support around authentication APIs based on the Azure Identity Client Library making it simpler to authenticate. We all love that. 
and various different sort of scenarios for authentication. They're switching to using system.text.json for serialization. Now, I don't know if you know, but some backstory on this, but James Newton King, who is the author of the newtonsoft.json library, joined Microsoft some years ago, I think a couple of years ago maybe, two or three years ago. Gosh, I've forgotten now. It's been a while. And so Microsoft had him on board, obviously investing in getting better JSON support into the .NET framework and .NET Core and all that sort of stuff. And actually, I think James is now working on the gRPC libraries for .NET that I had the opportunity of using the other day. Lots of stuff about serialization and, and sending things across a network connection. So he continues to work on that stuff. But anyway, back to the .NET SDK for Microsoft Graph. They're moving from newtonsoft.json for serialization and deserialization to system.text.json, which is a baked-in library into .NET now for that. And so this SDK now moves to that as well. Uh, and then finally, they're adding support for getting better access to the response headers. So when you call a graph call, or you make a graph call and you get a response back, being able to dig in to the headers and getting access to things, but more straightforward. So yeah, they're you know continuing along on the march with Graph and .NET support. You can go get that from Nougat, obviously. Microsoft.Graph is the library. So go give it a shot. And there's a GitHub post that they link to here about upgrades and things like that. And there's an upgrade guide where you can see the breaking changes that have been introduced. So it's not a totally straightforward upgrade, I guess and additional things you might need to do around the Newtonsoft replacement. So, um, yeah, nice wee addition there. Now, I told you I would save the best for last in terms of news. So, having said that, I hope this doesn't disappoint. I am being a little bit... <laughs> I am being a little bit facetious when I say this. I know everybody has been waiting for this. This is something we have voted for have been picketing at the gates over, have been losing sleep over for weeks, months, maybe even years, is a logo for Azure. And in fact, a new logo for Azure. A more modern, fluent <laughs> logo for Azure. And now we have it. May the 7th, there's a post from a senior product marketing manager uh, on the Azure team, and there's a glorious picture of the new fluent Azure icon. We can now sleep easy. I joke a little bit, right? This is kind of comical in some respects, but I do say that there have been a number of times where I've been putting a presentation together and I'm trying to put a little diagram together or something and I've gone, oh yeah, I need an Azure logo. And you go, look, and you're like, huh, actually, is there one? And which one is it? And does it fit with the others and it kind of looks a bit goofy? Anyway, so now we have a new Azure icon so your presentations can rest and sleep easier at night knowing that they've got a nice-looking A, like the letter A for Azure, in case it wasn't obvious, that follows Microsoft's fluent design system and has been carefully crafted to produce icons that look similar to what customers know and love while representing the agile future of our business. Hey, yay, yay. That's a mouthful. But anyway, it does actually look pretty good. You know, I'm all right with it. It sort of a, looks a bit like the, it reminds me of the sort of the, the word icon. 
upside down a little bit. I don't know why. Maybe it's to the blue and the sort of the fluent aspect of it, I suppose. Anywho, there's a link to a feedback forum so you can go and give your feedback on this if you like. One little interesting tidbit is at the end of this blog post, it says that the final line of this blog, it says, Azure, invent with purpose. I want, I, that's the first time I've seen that. I wonder if that is Azure's new sort of marketing tagline. I don't know. I haven't seen that before. But anyway, that is the new Azure logo. I know you can't see it. I've just described it, poo-pooed a little bit, but I am quite happy to have it. So there we go. All right, we are going to take a quick break and I will be back with my pick for this week. Thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they've created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphaned teams and collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to help keep your teams tidy and secure. That's why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right. Thanks for bearing with me this week, solo guys and girls. AC will be back on board next week, and we'll be back in the saddle together. So to finish this one out, a pick from me. This one I've got is called Jelly and Marshmallows, Projects from Simon Jelly and Mark Mellors. It is a paper aeroplane wind tunnel project. Now, I have absolutely no use for this, but I came across it and was reading it. I think I got to it from, it was posted on Hacker News, perhaps, something along those lines. And it shows an example of them building a wind tunnel for doing aerodynamics on paper airplanes. Yeah. Now, if you're interested, I know almost nothing about aerodynamics other than what I've heard from what's been talked about through Formula One and IndyCar and all that sort of stuff. Bit of airplane stuff in there too. So I didn't really know much about wind tunnels other than I've seen a couple. But it talks about the flow of the air through the tunnel and the straightener that removes turbulence from the incoming air and the collector, which smoothly accelerates the airflow, and the working section in the middle, which has got the straight bit where you, the sort of the straight tunnel, if you will, where you put your thing that you want to test in there for doing your airflow testing. And then a diffuser, which sort of slows the air out the other side. And then their design has the fan at the back, which sucks the air rather than blowing it. I guess that's better for turbulence if you're sucking it from the back end of this thing. Anyway, so it blows it out the back. But anyway, this is pretty cool. It sort of details the project from soup to nuts, shows this sort of DIY built thing. And then it's got a few cool examples of testing different airplanes, paper airplanes, and seeing the, um, seeing the airflow through this thing. 
absolutely no point to this whatsoever for me, but I thought it was pretty cool, and I hope you do too. So yeah, a little DIY paper airplane wind tunnel. All right, that's it for this week, everybody. Kind of a short show. I hope you've enjoyed some of the news. We've talked about Azure, Teams, AKS, Microsoft Graph, Windows, threat protection for Linux and Mac OS. Bunch of interesting stuff. Interesting stuff on the Colonial Pipeline attack this week. It's relation to Exchange, paying the ransomware off, only paying the ransomware fee, but only to be only for that group to be thwarted and taken down by some unknown, probably the US government response to it I thought was pretty comical and finally the Jedi project being reviewed again due to all the legal stuff going on so thanks again we'll tune in or talk to you next week thanks for listening to me have a great weekend rest your weekend or week in this case and uh, we'll talk to you next week cheers did you like this episode please tweet about it and drop a five star review in your favorite podcast app it helps people find out about our show and grow our audience and we'd really appreciate it if you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.